All right, welcome back. I'm glad we are all here and in good spirits this morning. Um, looking forward to uh, our time in the Word today, but also looking forward to getting down to the park and uh, painting some pumpkins with the kids and just being a witness down there. So uh, we're going to be back in the book of Judges, uh, Judges chapter 8. We're going to finish up chapter 8 today and uh, finish up the story of Gideon. Uh, Gideon's legacy is going to continue on and we're going to look at that through the next couple chapters but uh, we're going to finish up with Gideon today. Last week Gideon caught up with Ziba and Zalmunna and uh, he killed them so God had delivered Israel out of the hand of Midian. The the delivery was or the the, uh, restoration was complete and now we're going to see how Gideon is going to end his ministry, his rule as a judge, his reign as a judge here. So, um, Judges chapter 8 and verse number 22. The Bible says, Then the men of Israel said unto Gideon, Rule thou over us, both thou and thy son and thy son's son. Also, sorry, for thou hast delivered us from the hand of Midian. And Gideon said unto them, I will not rule over you, neither shall my son rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. And Gideon said unto them, I would desire a request of you, that you would give me every man the earrings of his prey. For they had golden earrings, because they were Ishmaelites. And they answered, We will willingly give them. And they spread a garment, and did cast therein every man the earrings of his prey. And the weight of the golden earrings that he requested was a thousand and seven hundred shekels of gold, beside ornaments and collars, and purple raiment that was on the kings of Midian, and beside the chains that were about their camels' necks. And Gideon made an ephod, but therefore, and put it, sorry, made an ephod thereof, and put it in his city, even in Oprah. And all Israel went thither, a whoring after it, which became a snare unto Gideon and to his house. Thus was Midian subdued before the children of Israel, no more. Sorry, so that they lift up their heads no more, and the country was in quietness forty years in the days of Gideon. And Jerubbabel, the son of Joash, went and dwelt in his own house, and Gideon had threescore and ten sons of his body begotten, for he had many wives, and his concubine that was in Shechem, she also bare him a son, whose name he called Abimelech. And Gideon, the son of Joash, died in a good old age, and was buried in the sepulchre of Joash's father and Oprah of the Abayiz writes, And it came to pass, as soon as Gideon was dead, that the children of Israel turned again and went a whoring after Balaam, and made Baal Beeroth uh, their God. And the children of Israel remembered not the Lord their God, who had delivered them out of the hands of all their enemies on every side. Neither showed they kindness to the house of Jerubbabel, namely Gideon, according to all the goodness which he had showed unto Israel. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you again for this opportunity, Lord, this ability to gather here freely, to hear your word, to teach your word. Lord, I pray that we would hear it, that it would uh, enter our hearts and that it would mold us and change us, that we would become doers of the word and not just hearers only. I pray as we uh, go through our Sunday school lesson and our morning service that you would encourage and strengthen our hearts that you would prepare us as we go down to the park and uh, be a witness as we set up Goliath and 
do the craft with the kids. And Lord, I just pray that you would guide and direct, that you would give us boldness and strength, that you would give us opportunity uh, to witness. So God, please work in us today, work through us today. We love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So Gideon, as we just said, he's just finished. Uh, he's slain Zeba and Zalmunna. Israel has been delivered uh, from the hand of Midian. The, the act that needed to be done is complete. Uh, God had already said that he would, or that he had delivered Midian into their hand. Now uh, Israel's part is complete. They have followed through, done the task, completed as they were supposed to. And the men of Israel come to Gideon and they make a request of him. They seek him uh, and ask him to rule over them. Uh, they want to con have him continue to be their <clears throat> judge, to be their ruler, to guide and direct them. And I find this, not only him, but also his son and his son's sons, uh, they want this to be a perpetual thing. And, and I find this interesting for a couple of reasons. Uh, first, it's prophetic. This is what Israel will eventually get as they... Uh, as they reject Samuel and demand that they that God place over them a king, they will eventually get this uh, hereditary rule. They will get Saul, who unfortunately <clears throat> goes against God and is removed from being king. But then they'll have David, and from David is Solomon, and from Solomon is all of his sons, all the way through, uh, even after, because of Solomon's sons, the the nation of Israel is split, and we have the northern uh, tribes and the southern tribes. And But all the way through that, even up until Christ, we have a son of David ruling on the throne in Israel, uh, even through till Christ. And Christ had to come through the lineage of David in order to fulfill the prophecies that God had given and, and the promises that God had given to David. And that's why uh, David, or why Christ uh, Joseph was chosen. That's why all of that had to take place is that Christ had to come through that lineage of David but also had to be uh, completely God. So he could not be born of a human father uh, but he had still had to come from the lineage of David. The second thing that I see interesting in all of this is that uh, <clears throat> they are seeking for someone to rule over them. They, they're always seeking for someone to give them direction. And the really sad part is, is they have the creator, the perfect God, who is willing to give them that direction, to guide them and direct them in all perfect peace, and yet they're rejecting him and seeking some imperfect person to be their guide and their ruler. And we, as we read through the text, we know that Gideon is going to, uh, he's going to cause Israel to fall again. This, this, great, this great victory has been won and almost immediately they return to their idolatry. Even during the time of Gideon. But we need to understand this in our lives that we are never truly free. We either serve, we serve one of two families. We either serve the family of Satan and he forces and, and, and um, co
coerces us to do his will, or we serve the family of God and God gives us the choice to serve him. But we still have to serve one or the other. Go with me to Matthew 6. Matthew 6 and verse number 24. Matthew 6 and verse number 24 says, No man can serve two masters, or for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. And then Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16 and verse number 13. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Both Matthew and Luke record this thought from Christ, and they tell us a few things. One, they tell us that we can't have our cake and eat it too. Uh, we, we have to pick one or the other. Um, yesterday, Malachi did his best to give us uh, cake and ice cream. He gave us an ice cream cake, which was great. But that is still cake. It still had cake in it. It's still considered a cake. It's not both. We're either going to serve God or we're going to serve the God of this world. And that's the second thing that these verses tell us. Not only do they say that we can't serve both, we are going to serve one or the other. That's the implication there. We need to understand that this is a day-by-day and a minute-by-minute choice. Even for us as Christians, this is still a day-by-day, minute-by-minute choice. As we went to the men's uh, the, the men's meeting, uh, I think it was Brother Jerry or Brother Tom that brought out um, that we still, he, he had this whole, this, this whole drawing of the different choices that we have to make, but we have to choose who we're going to serve. And then in all of that, we, we have to choose how we're going to serve and spend each day. And there's, there's, a good, there's a right answer and a wrong answer in everything. We can be a son of God and still do evil things. Unfortunately, because we have our, our, our old sin nature still, we can still be saved and God gives us the free will to choose to do the wrong things. Too many people today blame everything but their own choices for their behavior. Even if someone's threatening you or with death or physical harm, there's still a choice that can be made. For example, many throughout history have made the choice that they would rather die than to not serve God. The one example, the first example that popped to my mind is William Tyndale. Do you guys know who William Tyndale is? 
William Tyndale is the first man who tried to translate the Bible into English. He was commanded by the King of England to not do this. He was arrested, he was strangled, and burnt in the town square simply for translating the Bible into English, into the language of the people. His last words as he was being carried to the stake in a wheelbarrow, they had to push him in a wheelbarrow to the stake. He couldn't walk. He had been beaten so badly. Where Lord opened the King of England's eyes. It's this event that led the way for the translation of our King James Bible. This happened in... Uh, I thought I had the date written down. Happened in the mid-1500s uh, under... I can't remember what king it is. Anyway, it wasn't King James. It was the king before King James. When King James took over, uh, he demanded that the Bible be translated into the English language. And he gathered the, trans the 66 translators together that formed the committee to translate our Bible. But Tyndale chose. He had been warned. He could have stopped what he was doing and just carried on with what the king wanted him to do. But instead he chose to follow God. We can go through martyr after martyr. In the book of Acts, we see Peter and John uh, getting beaten and, and, and being commanded not to teach in the name of Christ and going out and doing it again. We see Paul, the same thing, being stoned to death for teaching in the name of Christ. Or not being stoned to death, but being stoned almost to death. We always have a choice. Right here, Israel is seeking, they're choosing to reject God. We also need to understand that in this choice, Not making a choice is the same as making a choice. Um, you, we have a, a default setting. Do you guys know? Do you know what a default setting is, Malachi? A default setting is something that is—it's a computer term for something that is automatic. That uh, when you get whatever it is, whatever electronic, brand new, it has a certain specific setting for everything. That's that it always goes back to. Um, for example, as I go through and I'm, I'm typing my message, the default setting for the print as I type is black. But I go through and I change the uh, scripture references to green to make them easier in the handouts that I give to you guys to make them easier for you to see, to make them easier for me to see as I go through. But that default setting is always black. Whenever I open up a document and start typing, it starts typing as black. Our default setting, our, 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 our original destination is hell because of our sin, because of Adam and Eve's sin in the garden, because we are born with that sin nature. We are children of Adam and Eve. Because of all of that, we 
without making a choice, have already chosen to stay where we are. So Israel is, instead of staying with what God has given them, and, and they chose at one time, Abraham chose to follow God, Isaac chose to follow God, Jacob chose to follow God, the, the 12 patriarchs, the 12 uh, sons of, of Israel chose, in a way, to follow God. But then they began to choose to not. And here, they, they are seeking what the world has. They're right back to, they've just been delivered, and they're right back to seeking what they've just been delivered from. It just boggles my mind. But Gideon gives a great answer. He answers the men of Israel as a true man of God would. He says, I will not rule over you, neither shall my sons rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. This should be the answer for all of us. The Lord is our king, and we are his servants. 1 Corinthians 6. First Corinthians six and verse number twelve. Now we talked about this a little bit on Wednesday night. This was uh, a verse that was repeated several times in our lesson on Wednesday night. But First Corinthians six twelve says, "All things are lawful unto me, but not all things. But all things are not expedient." All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. The Bible says, I will not be brought under the power of any. Nothing in this world should have rule over me. If this is your answer, then there's only one who can rule over you, and that's God. But so often we allow different things to creep into our lives. Friday night. No. Yeah, Friday night. Friday night, Saturday morning. Um, we're going to talk about this a little bit in the next lesson, but uh, right in the middle of trying to get a really good night's sleep, uh, I get woken up by someone who was under the power of something of this world and had to go and deal with all of that but he this young man had allowed himself to be uh, completely controlled by alcohol uh, he was no longer in control of his body he was no longer in control of his thoughts he was no longer in control of any part of it And you might be sitting here thinking, well, I don't drink. I don't do drugs. But we still allow things to control us. Yesterday. How did I know this was coming up? <laughs> yesterday, um, we were out and I decided to let Abby 
um, do a little driving. And uh, she lost control of the vehicle a little bit. She um, mixed up the gas and the brake, and we ended up in a place where we shouldn't have been. And she was very scared, which is completely understandable. But after we got the vehicle out from where it was with a little bit of help from several other people, we went down into a pasture and I made her get back in the driver's seat and we drove around. Because the point is, she can't let that fear keep her from doing the things that she needs to do. She can't let that fear control her. But we so often do. And, and I don't know why Israel is seeking for Gideon to rule over them. If it's because they're afraid of what they'll do for themselves. If it's because they're afraid of what God will ask them to do. I, I don't know. But I know that there were 22,000 men when Gideon needed an army that allowed fear to take them out of the battle. And now Gideon is making a choice, which is a good choice, to, to not rule over Israel, but to, to have them, to have God rule over them. And unfortunately, I wish we could stop there and it would just be, that would be done. But verse number 23, it says, And Gideon said unto them, I will not rule over you, neither shall my son rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. And then verse number 24 says, And Gideon said unto them, I would desire a request, a request of you, that you would give me every man the earrings of his prey. From one sentence to the next, Gideon is making a choice. Gideon here has chosen to seek the gold of the earrings of all of the slain. All the way back when we met Gideon in chapter 6, we have seen him grow towards the Lord. We have seen the creation of a godly man who without hesitation follows God and does whatever God asks. Culminating all in the statement that Israel is to have God rule over them and no one else. And then he immediately goes to, but I want all of this gold. I desire that you give me the earrings of your prey. Desire, I want, I need, I lust after it. And Israel accepted. They, they laid out a blanket and every man cast in the earrings of his prey. And Gideon came away with 17,000 shekels of gold. I looked that up uh, Friday night, and this is equivalent to right around $218,000 worth of gold at this point in, in our economy today. But Gideon wasn't trying to get rich. He already had in his mind something that he was going to do. He wasn't trying to just get rich and be able to live. He was going to make an ephod. He, he was going to mold the gold into something. Now, this could be a very misguided attempt to give God the glory because the ephod is the sleeveless uh, shirt 
or um, it was it held the breastplate, but it was it was a priestly garment. It was designed and, and given to Moses by God in Exodus twenty five. Exodus 25 will explain it way better than I can. So I'm going to go back to Exodus 25 real quick. Exodus 25. And verse number 7. The Bible says, Onyx stones and stones... Sorry. Um... I'm going to start in verse number one. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they may bring me an offering of every man that giveth it willingly. With his heart ye shall take my, take my offering. And this is the offering which ye shall take of them, gold and silver and brass, and blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen and goat's hair, and ram skins dyed red, and badger's skins and shittim wood, oil for the light, spices for anointing oil and for sweet incense, Onyx stones and stones to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them, according to all that I show thee after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the instruments thereof. Even so shall you make it. And then if you continue, or you skip ahead to verse number 28, or chapter number 28, I'm sorry, verse number 4. The Bible says, And these are the garments which they shall make, a breastplate, an ephod, and a robe, an embroidered coat, a mitre, and a girdle. And they shall make holy garments for Aaron thy brother and his sons, and he may, that he may minister unto me in the priest's office. And they shall take gold and blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen, and they shall make the ephod of blue, of gold, and of purple, of scarlet and fine twine linen with cunning work. It shall have two, the two shoulder pieces thereof joined at the two edges thereof, and so it shall be joined together. And the curious girdle of the ephod which is upon it shall be the same according to the work thereof, even of gold, of blue, and purple, and scarlet, and fine twined linen. And thou shalt take two onyx stones, and grave on them the names of the children of Israel, six of their names on the one stone, and the other six names of the rest on the other stone, according to their birth, with the work of an engraver in stone, like the engravings of a signet. Shalt thou engrave the two stones with the names of the children of Israel, thou shalt make them to set it in ouches of gold. And thou shalt put the two stones upon the shoulders of the ephod for stones of memorial under the children of Israel. And Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord upon his two shoulders for a memorial. And it goes on to describe all the way through verse 30 what this ephod is. But it is a garment that was worn by the priests so that it was a memorial for Israel. It was a memorial for what God is doing for Israel and for, for God to be always in the forefront of Israel's mind as they would go daily and see the priest. They would always be reminded that the priest was taking them before God. So here, Gideon is creating his own ephod. And he's going to have it cast and he's going to hang it in Ophrah in his home, in his his home city. It could very simply be that Gideon was just trying to recreate this to show that it was God that had delivered them, to remind them that God had done all of this, that it wasn't Gideon. But, unfortunately, Gideon in his 
walk, what, what we would see as his growth from chapter 6, has now gotten to a point where he feels like he no longer needs to seek God for these simple things. We saw in earlier chapters that he's, he's having conversations with the Lord personally. He's having conversations with the angel of the Lord. And then he's putting out the fleece and, and he's listening to God and following God's exact directions to prune out the army. And, and he's going through. And now that all of the danger is gone, he's decided that he's going to do on his own what he thinks is right. He's going to try and glorify God on his own. I mean, I want to glorify the God that has done so much for me. But if I truly wanted to do that, why wouldn't I ask him how to do that? Instead, history is going to repeat itself. Gideon has not really committed any sin at this point. He's just simply acting in a misguided thought of how to worship God. But it's going to give Israel an opportunity. And unfortunately, Israel is going to make the choice to serve it as an idol. It's important to note here that Gideon is not at fault. It's not his fault. He didn't tell them to go and worship this ephod. But he sure didn't help them not. And this is an example as we've gone through our study and our discipleship study and we've seen uh, the way that we're supposed to interact with other Christians. We've seen the way we're supposed to interact with the lost world and now we're looking at separation and what that means for a Christian walking in this world. This is an example of a very important principle. The Bible tells us that we shouldn't cause a weaker brother to fall. That we shouldn't be the cause of a non-believer to continue to not believe. Romans 14. <clears throat> Romans 14 and verse number 10. Excuse me. It says, But why dost thou judge thy brother, or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow, and every shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one who shall every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Let us not therefore judge one another any more, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. But if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably, destroy not him with thy meat, for whom Christ died. Let not then your good be evil spoken of, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. 
For meat destroyeth not the work of God. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for that man who eateth with offense. It is good neither to eat flesh, nor to drink wine, nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth, or is offended, or is made weak. Hast thou faith, have it to thyself before God. Happy is he that commendeth not himself in that thing which he alloweth. And he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. This passage is... is part of an argument between Peter and, I think it's Peter and Paul. (coughs) Sorry, it's not Peter and Paul, because Paul, yeah, I think it's Peter and Paul. Anyway, it's part of an argument because uh, there were men in the church that were, or men in in the church at Rome that were eating meat knowingly sacrificed to idols. And while that is not in itself sin, it is sin if it's Somebody sees it and decides that, well, you're eating this meat and it's okay for you, so it's okay for me. And then they continue on down that path and they become, uh, then they begin to actually sacrifice to those idols and they begin to do all those things. This is the idea here. Gideon isn't committing sin by creating this ephod. He is greasing the wheels of sin by hanging it in his city and then allowing Israel to come and worship it. Without Gideon's golden ephod, Israel would have been far more hard-pressed to find an idol. Now, they would have, they're a resourceful people. They would have created one. I mean, go back to Exodus when Moses brings them out of Egypt and he goes up into the mountain for 40 days and, and he's away and all of a sudden he comes down and, and Aaron has molded this golden calf. And Israel is bowing down and worshiping it. While Moses is literally on the mountain talking to God and they can see the the storm on the mountain, they can hear the thundering. Right underneath God's hand, they're creating this calf and worshiping it. This is how easy it is for us to fall in these choices that we have to make. This is why it's so important for us to continually seek God to never get to a place where we are just okay to make these decisions on our own. There are two roads in life. There's the narrow path that leads through the straight gate that leads to life. And then there's the broad path that leads through the wide gate that leads to destruction. We find find that in Matthew 7 and Luke 13. These two roads show us the two choices in life. The broad path is easy and followed by many. It's the freeway. It's the interstate. It's four lane. This is that choice that is made even when you don't make a choice. This is your default road. The narrow path, though, through the straight gate is hard. It's hard to follow. It's the choice that actually takes work. It takes effort. People don't want to follow it because it's hard. Unfortunately, few take that path, and many times as we take that path, there tends to be things that push us in the wrong direction. Sometimes it's the people on that path with us. Here, Gideon, as appropriate for this time of year in this area, Gideon has parked a tractor across the narrow way that leads to life. 
there are going to be a few that are going to pick their way around and find a way to get around that tractor and continue on that path. But there are many that are going to be pushed off onto that Broadway. That are going to fall into that trap. Verse number 27 tells us that this thing became a snare and a Gideon in his house. A trap they couldn't get out of no matter how hard they fought. A snare trap is a trap that's used a lot in trapping of uh, small game, even up to, they trap wolves in snare traps. But the idea is that it doesn't damage the fur. Uh, And it keeps the fur alive, meaning the animal is alive for most of the, the time that it's in the trap. But a snare trap is a, a basically a steel cable that varies in size depending on what, what game that you're trying to catch. And it's formed into a loop and placed along a game trail. And it's baited with whatever uh, the game that you're trying to catch with whatever its little heart would desire the most. And as that prey goes in and, and investigates the bait, it doesn't even have to get all the way into the trap. But part of it gets caught in that snare. And as it pulls away and tries to free itself, that snare gets tighter and tighter and tighter. And the majority of animals that are caught in snare traps die there or are found by the trapper and killed and their fur is harvested. But there are a few animals like coyotes and wolves and foxes that hate the traps so much that they've actually chewed off their own limbs to get out. Well, they're free of the trap, but now the problem is they're injured and they're fair game to the pack around them. And they end up dying, being killed by other predators just because they've injured themselves in this trap. This is what God is talking about with, with Gideon and Israel right here. Gideon is put himself in a trap. He's put his family in a trap. He's put Israel in a trap. And they're fighting and fighting and fighting. And unfortunately, the only way to truly get out of the trap is to have it released by the man that created it. Or by somebody who knows how to work the trap. As we close out chapter 8, thinking of this imagery, we understand... God shifts here and he begins to introduce us to Israel's or to uh, Gideon's heirs. Verse number 28 Thus was Midian subdued before the children of Israel, so that they lifted up their heads no more, and the country was in quietness 40 years in the days of Gideon. And then verse number 29 And Jerubbabel, the son of Joash, went and dwelled in his own house, and Gideon had three score and ten sons of his body begotten. For he had many wives, and his concubine that was in Shechem also bare him a son whose name he called Abimelech. Gideon went on to live and have 70 sons. We already met his eldest son, Jether, who was still a youth and because of fear was not able to slay the two kings of Midian. But now we understand that Gideon is going to father 70 more sons. Looking ahead, sorry, 
looking ahead, this brings to mind all the years that David spent running from Saul in the wilderness. And I'm not sure why I made that connection, but it does make sense. We need to understand that that time wasn't that David was running from Saul in the wilderness wasn't to get Saul out of Israel. <clears throat> because David had already been anointed king. It wasn't God trying to remove Saul from being king in Israel. It was trying to for it was God trying to remove Saul out of David. God was trying to wean, weed out those character traits of Saul and David that that made Saul such an evil and wicked king. Unfortunately, in all cases except Christ, we are still have a lot of that character. Gideon still had all of the character from before God had spoken to him. He was still stained because of his previous life, because of the choices he had made to not follow God in the first place. He was still stained by the world. So he was willing to take all of these wives and all of these concubines and, and, and have all of these children and we're going to see it's going to go very, very badly for the house of Gideon. Yesterday we went out and, and played some airsoft in the timber, uh, not in the timber, but in the pasture. And <clears throat> I didn't wear my suit out to do that. When, when I work for Brother Jesse, I don't wear my suit. I wear different clothes. The kids have to go out and, and clean the car every week. They have to scrub the door handles and the seat belts and the, uh, all the things that I would touch because no matter how hard I scrub uh, after I leave Brother Jesse's or after I leave a construction site, I still have dirt and grime on me. It's on my clothes. It's on my hands. And it transfers to the car. This shirt, if you would look close, still has grime around the collar it's unavoidable the whole point of this is Gideon like all of us had been stained by the world in his past and he's followed the world and taking all these wives because to him the most important thing is his legacy but his legacy was Stained because he was stained. The grease and the grime transferred to every, everything I touch, including my children. It's going to all transfer down as we get into chapter 9. All of this wickedness that's still in Gideon that, that made him make the choice to create the ephod and, and that allowed Israel to make the choice to go and worship it and and begin to serve other gods again, all of that transfers to his children. And unfortunately, the rule is what we do in moderation, our children will do in excess. God sees fit here to introduce us to Abimelech. And Abimelech is the son of a concubine. He's going to play a very important role in the next couple chapters. But... We see in all this, when Gideon dies, we get deja vu again. Because as soon as Gideon dies, Israel goes back to serving other gods. 
They go back to serving Balaam, which Balaam is not a singular god. Balaam is the plural for all of the other gods. Specifically, they made Baal Beeroth their god. And they're going to continue to walk away from the Lord. Just 40 years after they've been delivered from Midian, all because Gideon made a choice, a misguided choice, and they began to serve and, and worship at the ephod. Gideon's kindness and bravery are going to be forgotten. God's mercy and grace are going to be forgotten. This week, what have we forgotten? What have we forgotten in our life that God has done for us? What have we so quickly forgotten and turned back to that God has delivered us from?